this morning, we had taken care of our sick puppy, and it has been a marathon today. Yes. Yeah, I've seen that. (laughs) But we're good to go for right now, and hopefully you will get usable stuff out of us. Yeah. Sweet. All right, (laughs) so we're going to do this introduction. If you would, go ahead and mute yourself real quick. (coughs) All right, and three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to the Divine Witch Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Debbie. And today we got two special guests over here at the Divine Witch, Heidi and Roger from Runestone Heathens of Southwest Ohio. And they're joining us. And of course, as always, I've got my partner in crime, the hubby. Hello. So without further ado, let's go ahead. Heidi, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? For those who don't know anything about you or Runestone Heathens. Sure. So I am a long-term witch. I've been a witch since, well, let's say 28 years now. And I initially started out on more of a shamanic and folk magic path and was eclectic pagan until about three and a half years ago when Roger and I discovered Asa True, which is also called heathenry. And we both decided that we wanted to investigate it. And it has been incredibly beautiful and empowering. So I have a strong desire now to provide others with access to whatever path they want. And heathenry is one that I'm trying to help others learn more about. So that's a little about me. And <laughs> you're fine. Go ahead, tell us a little bit about yourself, Roger. So, for myself, uh, I've been pagan about five years. Um, coming to that was just a, a path of deprogramming and learning about hidden truth, real hidden truth, and uh, so began to learn about ceremonial magic and was interested in this idea of people summoning demons to manifestation. I, I, I love high strangeness, any high strangeness of, of any type. And that was something that was very intriguing to me. So I began to learn a little bit about that, uh, reading the key of Solomon and that kind of stuff. And it was like, well, this isn't practical to do in the modern day. And so I started to, which I, I know now is not the truth because, but anyway, you know, when you read one of them old grimoires, you know, go pick a Rowan branch when the moon is in Venus and it's waning and, you know, you'd have to be retired to do that stuff. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, in that truth seeking process, uh, I learned about Wicca and, started gathering resources on that and, and teaching myself about it and beginning to practice it a little bit solitary. And after right around eight months, nine months of being Wiccan, the Norse gods came knocking. So I worshiped the Norse gods in a Wiccan context for a couple of years. And when I started getting into, uh, into runes and a lot of Thorson and stuff like that, I, began to learn to want to practice in a more Germanic uh, kind of expression, if you will. So I, uh, that began to, the runes is what kind of brought me to heathenry. So that was, that's kind of how I'm here now. So what is it, do you feel like drawed you from the runes? Cause everybody's got like their own story when it comes to the runes, especially within that pantheon or uh, belief system. So like, what do you think about it now that you've been in the path? Why do you feel like it called to you? Well, okay. I started learning about runes when I was still practicing in a Wiccan context. And most pagans know that Wicca has a, a, uh, a high importance on magic and to me, just intuitively, the runes, yes, they are a divination system, but first and foremost, they're a mystery school, and they're a system of magic. So I uh, I began to use the runes in my Wiccan magic, and 
So becoming intrigued by the runes, I began to dig into them more deeply. And that's kind of how I got into the runes, like deep rune study. And I thought I was going deep as a Wiccan, but was wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's kind of how it always happens. You know, people start on their spiritual path and they feel like they got to be one mm. thing or another. And then it just takes them on a total different trip. Which, speaking of total different trips, you know, you guys have been a president in the Ohio pagan community for some time in different forms. Um, I know you guys have worked with us, Ohio Valley Pagan Society, Butler County Pagans, and others. What was the inspiration for starting runes, runestone heathens? And also, like, how does it differ from what was already here versus what you got planned for the future? So, Runestone Heathens was Roger's brainchild, and I'll, I'll speak about it a little bit and then turn it over to him. For me, it was difficult to decide to walk an Asatru or heathen path in the beginning because I had been so focused on goddess worship for so many years. And if you don't actually know about heathenry, you can mistake it as very much a, a man's society. So when he talked about the lack of resources here in the area for heathens to develop community in a safe place, because heathenry had gotten kind of a, a bad rap, as I mentioned, about being very male-dominated and also being associated with people who were not inclusive. And so we wanted to form a group where people would have a safe space to learn about heathenry and Asatru and discover for themselves the beauty that exists in the goddesses that are a part of it. That was a strong motivator for me. Um, developing a relationship with the goddesses, finding out what the religion itself is, because while many people will say that you can be Wiccan and not be a witch, or be a witch and not be Wiccan. With heathenry, it's, it's even more prominent that you find people who practice the religion and don't practice the magic. So I wanted to open up the space for women so that they could feel more comfortable and not go through the worry that I had gone through when I was trying, when, you know, when Odin decided that it was time to pull me in and, and get me working with the heathens. And that was the beginning of my call was definitely Odin planting a dream in my brain. <laughs> but he's very well known for that too. He is. And he's also it, with me, it was one of those things when he decides that it's time to tap on your shoulder and pull you in. Oftentimes it's a short term for him He's just giving you notice that it's time to come work with him. And then he moves on and you then go, okay, well now what? And that's how it was for me. And I discovered a deep affinity for Freya and Frigga and Hela and Saga and Ayr and all of them, the, the glory of the women that had been forgotten because the history had been written by predominantly men and the history was written after the time when the gods were still being worshipped. So I wanted Runestone to be a place where people would feel safe, where they could get good information that they could trust, where they could find books and where they could find and develop a true sense of community, whether they wanted to be heathen or they were just curious. And that's what it's turned into. And we've gone, we've been working at it for a little over two years, or almost two years now, sorry. And we have over 200 members now. And it's just been absolutely a passion project of both of us. So now I'll turn it over to Roger for his inspiration. All right. So with the, in, in the practical sense and how this got started, um, as I began to go down the heathen path, I'm one that likes to spend my my downtime learning about what I'm passionate about so you know listening to different podcasts and YouTube channels and things like that I came across one called the Ravens call uh, hosted by a guy named Eric Sherman he's down in uh, in Texas and so began to listen to his videos and was really liking what he was saying 
And one of his videos was entitled something like, what do I do if there's no heathens in my area? Where he gave the blueprint of how he started his very successful group down there in Texas. So I basically took the blueprint he gave, which was start a Facebook group, which is, you know, it could be uh, Odin Spear Heathens of Central Georgia or whatever you would want to name it. Just heathens of your locale in the state. And when, when I came to Heidi and talked about starting this, there was only a group for the state of Ohio. Now, one thing about Rootstone is that we're not affiliated with any national organizations. We're purely grassroots. Now, national organizations sometimes will have a presence in different states if they have ambassadors and things like that in the area. Right. But we, we wanted to have this group where it wasn't affiliated with any national organizations and was inclusive. So I basically took the, the uh, blueprint that Eric Shervin gave and on, on what to do if there's no heathens in your area, and uh, which was basically start a Facebook group, name it, you know, give it the name like I had explained, uh, invite all of your friends. If you're a member of different pagan groups, share it in those groups, get it out there. Then start having moots. A moot is just where you come out and, and meet. Park moots, pub moots, all of that stuff. So go to the moot, take pictures, post it. Even if you're the only one there, let people know that you were there. And slowly but surely, it began to grow. And we've had a lot of success. We've we founded a kindred through it. So it, it'll be our kindred that is kind of doing the right at Witch in the Woods, which we call Twin Rivers. We've been uh, established for about a year now, and hopefully we're hoping to establish another kindred through Runestone too. So, yeah. Well, that is amazing, and that is going to be something that we are talking about as well um, later in this podcast, is the fact that you guys will be doing an open ritual at Witch in the Woods. But before we get to that, what do you feel from the feedback you've got from people who've come to your group and also within your own personal experience, you know, how does the energy flow change from what you're doing, the feedback you've got, you know, just like what do people should, should they expect? You know, not all experiences are created equal as we all know. So go forth. By and large, our gatherings are informal. We have occasionally done uh, an open ritual with people. We call them bloats. And we've, we've done those throughout the past year. We started meeting in person last summer when the COVID restrictions finally lifted. So when you get together with us in person, it's very low key. There's no pressure. We are very careful to make sure that everyone knows you don't have to be heathen attend, to attend. You can be any flavor of pagan and just want to get together with other pagans. You can be non-pagan and come just because you're curious. As long as you come open and you are willing to be inclusive across all barriers, we are open for you to come and join us. So the gatherings are usually a bunch of food, a bunch of people. We have a couple of scholars in our group who've done some extensive study. So they love to attend and you can ask them any questions you want and they'll go on and on about the topic. We do some traditional heathen games. There's one called Toffel that's a precursor to chess. And so you can sit down and have a Toffel game. There's another game called Cube, which is more of a yard game yard game more of an active game um, we invite children children can come we want families to be involved because heathenry is very much a family religion and right. so we want we want the we want the children there we want them to feel comfortable we we um we just make sure that it's a place where you do not feel unwanted uh, hospitality is a huge thing in the heathenry business, <laughs> as yeah. you would say. And it's true, though. It is. It's absolutely true. Hospitality, you know, there is a specific code that heathens live by. And one of the prominent features is that we should extend ourselves in a way we wish to be extended to. 
you know, it's that golden rule. It's just phrased a little different, but living your life with honor and being an honorable person that is worthy of your name being celebrated when you're gone. That's one of the things that is a key component to being a heathen. So we take that very seriously and try to make sure that we conduct our, our group with honor and that people feel welcome and that whether you're heathen or never going to be heathen, you come away from it saying, we had a good time. We did not realize it was going to be like that. And yeah, we, we're happy to make sure we come back. We have lots of people who come back again and again. I don't think there's anything I can add to that. My love. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about to ask if there was anything you wanted to put in there. Now, this kind of off of what we had planned, but, um, you know, one of the things that you had brought up is the thought process that people get in their minds about what heathenry is. Um, we've seen it over the last couple of years. There's an uprise of wanting to get back to the old gods in many different forms. But there's been people who say, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. You got to be a certain skin color from a certain lineage. Like, how do you guys combat that and the misinformation and try to make it to where you're spreading truth about the path along with being a good, healthy representative for those who may have a bad image in mind? Well, education would have to be first and foremost on that. We make sure we guide people to resources that aren't tainted with that worldview. Uh, we teach people about certain keywords to look for when they're looking at resources, certain authors that you want to go to, certain ones you want to stay away from. Uh, and then, like, yeah, I, I think some pagans have the idea that heathenry and being in a reconstructionist religion is limiting somehow. Now, what we, it doesn't, going from what it says in the lore doesn't limit the art. And it's, it's not just the Viking age that we go to. We, we use archaeology to reconstruct the religion. We use things that happened in the Vindal Age and in the Bronze Age. So when you, when you approach it in a wide spectrum, and you're being open-minded about the things that are found in the lore and how to take those things and make them artful and use them for a personal expression and worship, it's not limiting at all. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, certain things, certain key elements in a ritual, like, like there being a drink with a horn and, uh, you know, maybe using fire to hollow the area, that stuff you find in the lore, um, but not, okay. <laughs> I was yeah. sparked. Right, right. It's, um, I, f I actually find it liberating. In fact, like one of the things you'll see in a heathen ritual that is not anything in the lore at all, but is widely accepted, is something called a hammer hollow, which is totally based off of the uh the banishing ritual of the pentagram so and it's widely accepted in heathery so it's there are some who are 100 percent reconstructionist if it's not somewhere in the lore then we don't do it but that is too limiting and i don't think that you have to be that way in order to be heathen no but we do accept those who want to be that way because for the most part it's about how you choose to express yourself in your relationship with the gods. So we, we use the lore as a jumping off point. And then we allow for the, a lot of UPG because nothing, there's not enough written down for us, especially when you look at the goddesses, there's not enough information that was ever written down for us to truly know how anything occurred. So we take what we can and then from that, we build upon it based on the relationship we're building with the gods and with our ancestors. And that is one thing that I do want to make sure to mention. There's a lot of talk about working with the gods and the gods are wonderful and we do work with them. But you will find that most heathens tend to do more work with the land spirits, house spirits and their ancestors, because that is your more direct connection to divine, if you will. That is right. how you're going to actually develop a, an ability to make the change that you want. When you're entreating an ancestor, it's much more personal than when you're entreating a God for assistance. So 
we tend to work a lot more closely with the ancestors and the, and the spirits that exist in the land and in your home. So now that we're getting on land spirits and working with ancestors, um, that's another thing that has come up over the years. Of course, we've got TikTok and YouTube and podcasts and blogs and just discussions in general. With your guys's path and your personal experience, what would be some examples of how you use ancestral work? Because I always tell some of the people that I talk with, you know, not all ancestors are, that you work with and some you do, you have to be choosy. Do you find that to be the same case or do you work with all? Well, <laughs> I would say that there would be instances when an ancestor that was not particularly pleasant in your lineage would be someone you would speak with and maybe because you're trying you know they may be trying to change the way that they were perceived so they may be more um, invested in assisting you than someone who's already got a good name because it's all all about the weird that you have created and how that is going to play out in your future line and what you've inherited from your previous line so Yes, we tend to work with those that we knew well. We tend to work with those that are positive, but we are not averse to working with those who did negative things in their lives and may have learned from it. But we also always have to remember that just because you become an ancestor doesn't mean you become wise. So you do have to learn who time. you're working with. Yeah, you have to learn who you're working with um, and you have to decide you have to discover in yourself what truth is before you can expect truth from anyone else. One of the ways that I would answer that question is, especially when you're, when you're working within a heathen context with the, uh, the feminine powers. So for me, I, I don't really work with a particular ancestor. It's more of a, the idea of the ancestors, uh, and that's all embodied in, especially on the feminine side, called the disir. And when you start to, on the, the feminine side of what is divine and heathenry, there's a lot of crossover with the gods and god, or not the gods, the goddesses and the Valkyries and the Norns and the giantesses. They're all considered disir. So... It's it's like just worshiping the mother, you know, it, it right. is, is how I've been approaching it recently. All right, and let's go ahead with our next line of questioning because we got off topic just a tad <laughs> bit, but we had fun with it. Yeah. Does, <laughs> does the Runestone Heathens work with any other groups? I know you said you're not affiliated with any of the big ones, but has any of them actually inspired you in certain ways of what you would like to do what you wouldn't like to do um you know i know you guys get out there and you do uh the date and pagan gathering as well to put information out there yes we we are not affiliated with any national organizations but we have learned the lessons of some organizations that have had some in the heathen world, notorious downfalls based on the fact that they didn't always do things in the most upfront way. So we have learned the lessons from those and the groups that have stayed and are actively working to promote the same things that we are, which is inclusivity and community. We, we tend to continue to work with those. So Ohio Pagans is a, or I mean, Ohio Heathens is a good one. The group up in Columbus is fantastic. The Mead Hall, and we, we love those guys. And then we are, we, we are, Roger and I, both members of the Troth, which is the longest running um, organization in the United States for heathenry. And they are very, very inclusive. And we are real proud to be um, members of, of that organization. And we both are taking more active roles in that organization. Having said that, though, we don't expect anyone in RuneStone to worry about being affiliated with any group. They're welcome to do whatever is right for them. We just find that for us, 
in order to broaden our knowledge, to gain additional information, to learn new things. We find for us that it's better to be with a group that is on the forefront of providing that national and international inclusivity and opportunity for growth in, in the heathen world. So we do work with the troth individually as individuals. Yeah, yeah, the, the troth has been an invaluable resource in learning as a heathen and what heathenry should, should look like and teaching it right and teaching it inclusive. Uh, there's so many famous heathens that are, have been a part of the troth that I'm, I'm glad to be able to ask a question on Facebook too. You know, it, it's, it's great. Right. So with that being said, um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed that you guys been doing is, you know, you, you do classes as well. I know Heidi does. Um, and you do those here in Middletown at Ruse Realm. Um, mm -hmm. if you would, Heidi, will you tell us a little bit about that? And then I've got a question for Roger right after. Sure. So I have started up a group that is not religious in nature. It is magical purely in nature. And it is Northern European um, magical practices for feminine and feminine identifiers. So it's specific to people who are interested in learning the magical practices of the Northern European regions as much as we can narrow it down to them. However, understanding that that is, again, not something we can truly trace a direct line to. So we work with a lot of teachings from modern people who have tried to learn things as close to the old ways as possible and bring them forward into the new. So everything from the tribal shamanistic practices of the early Finnish people all the way to the present hexcraft and powwow magic of the modern Pennsylvania Dutch and everything that's in between. And so I'm working with a group of um, people who are interested in learning that. And we just really got started, but it is an intensive process because it is very shamanistic and it is also very animistic in its practice. So it requires a lot of dedication. It requires a lot of introspection, just like any magic does. But right. Norse magic does tend to be very trance focused. So working on rewriting those pathways in your brain so that you have the ability to get from meditation to trance to travel. That is one of the primary focuses. And then as Roger mentioned with the runes, we do work with the runes, but we look at them a little differently than other pagans in that we treat them as actual magical objects in and of themselves. We, we like to call them the stuff that the universe is based on. Each one of those runes is a foundational object in the universe itself. And so we, we treat them with deep respect and deep understanding that working with runes is not simply just casting them on a cloth or writing them together to make a bind rune. You have to take into account all aspects of what could happen with that bind rune when you put it together to make sure that you actually know what you're doing and that takes a lot of work and a lot of time so i've got this class i've got started i'm very excited about it down the road we'll be doing some additional ones and it's my intention to also open up the magical practices for all genders as we go forward but because there is that disparity between feminine and masculine and um, non-binary in this world I wanted us to start with the feminine and non-binary so that we could return magic to where it came from and then carry it forward to all other genders. So that was that's something that I'm extremely passionate about. And thanks for asking. I'm, I'm really looking forward to some exciting opportunities that are coming up in the future. Well, of course. You know, when I heard that you were doing the classes, I was excited. And then I was like, my schedule, I can't do this, but I want to do it, but I can't do it. <laughs> um, and it sucked, but I'm like, I got someone on the inside, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? And she's wonderful. I love her. And when she came back, she was super excited and she's like telling me everything and going over the notes. So like, and she's talking about the connection she made, which I think is one of the most important things when you do things like this is the connections. Cause you know, as well as I do, some things don't go as well or things get misinterpreted when you're trying to explain it or people get confused or 
whatevs, but it's good when you have those study areas where it's about the learning, it's about the connection, it's about breaking down those barriers and allowing your true self to be seen without the fear. And I love that. And yep. one of the things that I was wanting to ask you, Roger, was, is there ever any classes that you're thinking about doing that is similar to what Heidi is doing right now? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, just, oh, maybe about three months ago, uh, I had a long presentation, almost three hours, um, for a, uh, heathen worldview class that, that I taught. So I'd done that. And in the future, I have taken in for my heathen personal expression and how I like for my personal heathen read to be flavored and then take that to the group is uh, the path of the scald and the poetic tradition of the the English and the Germanic and the the uh, the old Norse. So that's the like the poetic Edda is written in a style called uh, uh, alliteration. And there's certain like I can't get into detail about it the way that it actually is, but right. I have begun to write my own poetry in that particular meter a couple of the different meters from uh from the poetic edda um i have met a guy who's been doing it a lot longer than me who i've kind of been talking to uh and taking and writing in old norse meter but doing it in english so like right. here's an example of what it of what it would sound like and this is from uh the uh, bellows translation of of the poetic edda so better is heart than a mighty blade for him who shall fiercely fight the brave man well shall fight and win though dull his blade may be so a lot of the alliteration is on b in that one right and there's syllable counts and all of that so i've been i'm pretty new at it i've been writing for i don't know going hard at it for about six months but really fine-tuning being able to write within the rules of the meter. So once I get that, and also I've spent the last year learning how to play a traditional Germanic instrument called the Anglo-Saxon lyre. I'm sure you've probably heard Wardruna before. Yeah. And that's one of the instruments they play in Wardruna. So I'm, I'm getting pretty good at that. Been going at it for about, uh, about a year. And so, yeah, taking that expression of, the scald and bringing that down to the hearth level, trying to take what Wardruna does and bringing that home, you know? So uh, I say all that to say, hopefully in time and as more people become heathen and as I get better at the scald craft or scald scop, uh, (laughs) uh, I'm hoping that, uh, that I might be able to inspire people to take that path and, and let that be their expression of their heathenry. So, yeah. And then work with them. In the, and work in, with them. Yeah, have a class format. about it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So do you think that, like, a lot of people don't know about it? Because I notice, like, when it comes into any spiritual practices, especially around here, you know, we hear about the drums a lot, the blowing of the horn, different things like that. But there's not so many classes when it comes to the variety of different instruments that were used in ritual purposes because there's more than just drums like even the greeks had theirs and like you were talking with your path you know is this something that you plan to you know as you start getting better and start feeling more comfortable in it having those conversations about you know expanding people's minds on the beauty of music and using that or even creativity in general within their personal practice. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I hope, I hope that like just by me going to like one of our moots and sitting and just playing liar, it inspires people. It gets them asking questions. It gets them talking about instruments that they're interested in. So, so yeah, yeah. I hope, I hope that can be something that occurs. And I just want to add that um, music is incredibly important to any heathen and especially a magical practitioner because the way of the vulva is very, very much, and a vulva would be one of the terms used for a, a Norse heathen witch. 
And the way of the vulva is one where singing is heavily involved. So learning how to sing, learning how to play the instruments, it's something that Roger is doing phenomenal at, and it's absolutely transcendent when you get to listen to him. And then combining that with the vocalization, we're just finding that it's, it's a way for us to deepen both of our paths and work together. But when it comes to teaching it, that is definitely going to be on Roger because he is much more driven when it comes to that. I think this whole right. thing will evolve, but it's in its infancy right now. Yeah. Well, from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, I mean, you guys got amazing plans going on and I think it's just gonna grow. And so is your community when it comes to these different aspects, these different trains of thought. Because I feel like here in the Ohio pagan community, we get used to the same old tropes, the same old things, and we don't have those multi-dimension discussions like we should. It's one of the reasons I started this podcast and it's just kind of been growing. So my question for you is, tell us a little bit about this ritual. I hear you're going to be at this place called Witch in the Woods and shit. So, <laughs> yeah, this, you know. this fantastic woman invited us to partake in Witch in the Woods. And when you hear witches and woods, we're definitely there. So, right. <laughs> and um, you know, Roger wrote the ritual and I will be the Githya, which is the name of the god woman for the ritual. So... And then our, our Gothi for our kindred, um, Rob, will be doing the Gothi portion of it. And it's just going to be this experience. We want to give Witch in the Woods an example of what a beautiful bloat would have been while making it something modern as well. And we're celebrating the harvest god Freyr. I mean, how can you get any more pagan than celebrating the god of fertility in August? So, Roger, exactly. you talk about your blow. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't want to give too much away about it. I kind of want it to be a surprise. But we were talking about being reconstructionist. This is a going to be a real good example of some of some of the lore that goes with Frey and uh, the way that he was worshipped and how we're reconstructing it today. Uh, I've worked pretty hard on getting the things ready for it. And I think people are going to, going to be pretty, uh, pretty excited about it. Yeah. I know <laughs> when I read it, I was excited. And then I started seeing the pictures for the stuff and I'm like, Ooh, that's going to be good. Which oh, by yeah. the way, it's, it's going to be awesome. We're very stoked <laughs> for everyone that out there listening. There. And you know, Wait, the you thing about the, the thing about that, too, is is we have faced some adversity. I mean, we got this sick puppy we're taking care of. We're working on, you know, last minute touches on stuff. And, Always. You know, coming down to the wire. <laughs> the pressure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so. And so what just, else do you expect? What else would you expect? I mean, right. you guys, you guys know how it goes. Last yeah. minute, there's always like, oh, I forgot this or oh, I need to buy this or. Did we remember this? And then even when you're in the car, you're like, crap, I forgot that. Can we right. make something while we're there? Contacting <laughs> people who haven't left yet. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> uh-huh. They, they're never, rituals like this that are somewhat of a production are never going to go to the letter. So you have to just expect there to be uh, ad-libs in it. It's just oh, how it is. Always. <laughs> and then you have, like, you're really deep into it and someone messes up a word or somebody's skirt flies up and you're like it's a good day yeah that's right it's a good day we're just gonna get through you know that's the one thing that i bring from my uh goddess worshiping days is i am very much a pull it out of my butt kind of practitioner i can whip up a ritual i can whip up a spell anywhere on the spot with just myself and words if i need to so i think we're gonna be good i think it'll turn out great Right. I'm super excited. By the way, for those of you who are listening to this and going, but I want to know more. Well, don't worry, because we're going to be recording it. And it may be a couple weeks before I get it up because, you know, you got to edit and make sure everything goes right and all that fun jazz. But it will be up and we will have information regarding all the things on this podcast, along with, you know, different links, different suggestions. And this is the portion of the show where we get to have fun and just talk about random stuff. Maybe um, if you guys would tell me a couple shops or places that you guys love going or recommend 
for anybody who may not be from Ohio or is and trying to find a good spot, what would you recommend? Well, I'm going to start out because you're talking about another passion project of mine, which is always supporting your local community as much as possible. So I hope I don't forget anyone um, up here in the Dayton region. There's a beautiful place called Find Me in the Forest and she's up in Moraine. She just opened this spring and she just does a fantastic job of providing classes. She works with um, Maria Shell from Baba Yaga's Hut for a lot of classes. She does a great job. Uh, a Full Moon Rising is always a great place to go. And, uh, but I have really loved finding, um, there's a store called Enchanted Candle in Miamisburg and she has a full apothecary and you can go in there and talk to Misha about anything. She will help you. She's just delightful to work with. And all of the places I'm talking about, they all try and source their herbal material because herbalism is another passion of mine. And they all try and source their herbal material as close, as, close to home as possible. Can't forget right. Sunwind Sundries, which is Janet Robertson, absolutely, absolutely flawless when it comes to her herbal things and her sewing. And then, you know, Rue's Realm is a great place and we need it in Middletown desperately. And then when you get down to Hamilton, you have two of the big guys. You have Sterling Seraph and you have Alternative Path Coexist who both do such an awesome job. You know, Sterling Seraph is going to be more about the, the crystals and she does do true witch work, but there's also the crystals and the clothing. And then you've got alternative path, which if you want to get down and dirty with spells, you go in there and talk to Greg and he's going to help you with anything that you and, need. And they've got Posh Pagan too. And Posh Pagan for some real good goth witchy clothing. But beyond that, you know, it's just imperative because we as pagans don't have access to a church to provide us with money when we're running short or when our elders are struggling. So I just really feel that it's essential that we do that because if we don't, no one else is going to. And we, these elders of ours, They've given their lives to bring us the information that we now use in our everyday practice. And if we don't support them, who's going to support us? And their, and their information may very well disappear and become lost. So it's just, if you need a suggestion, please reach out to me directly. And I can most likely come up with something for whatever you're looking for, because I really work hard to try and make sure that I know who does what and where you can get it as much as possible. And if I don't know, I will reach out to someone who does and make sure that you get it. Because if we don't support each other, we're going to lose access to these resources. Talking about Ruse Realm, especially, you know, they're working very hard to keep that store going and we need to support it because we'll lose that resource if we don't. And I agree. That's like one of the reasons that we did our little takeover a while back because it's like you see shops who are really trying, who have been out here for years. Everybody knows them. And it's like sometimes they get left behind. Sometimes things just don't work out or people get used to these other stores. And it's it's hard to shift, especially, you know, in this day and age where you're trying to figure out what advertisement works best, what deals, you know, working with local crafters. Because uh, my business is actually inside the shop, not at this moment, because we've had uh, shows to do. But, you know, without these places, you know, during the winter months, unless you're willing to pay $100, $300, or if you're lucky to have a big enough house to bring people in, you, you can't do events in the winter hardly. Right. Yep. And a lot of people don't think about this. And, you know, it comes with a great debate of we don't need temples. We don't need this. Well, actually, you do when you think of it in the grand scheme of things. And it's and one there of are temples out there. There's the temple of the of the mother goddess down in North Carolina. There's the Aquarian Tabernacle out in uh, what is it? Washington State. There's the Gray School of Wizardry. 
there's the pagan world school um, with Ed Hubbard. You know, we've got people who are doing that in other regions of this country. We need to be doing that here, too. It is needed. It is necessary. And I agree. Like, we have a lot of 501c3s, and, like, even I looked at it, but, like, having... You know, people have lives, people change, people move, stuff like that, and get those dedicated core people. It's hard sometimes for some, even of the groups, to get the 501c3 status. But some of these groups need to actually be going for that religious status. Um, that way we can start getting the funding to have these places and, you know, shelter those who need shelter. Yes. So Beautifully said. Debbie, you do a you do a great work at that. That's for sure. You are a busy woman in the community. <laughs> I never you make sleep, it so it helps. <laughs> no sleep is is the key to that. <laughs> unfortunately. Now, with that being said, um, what are some of the things that you think our community lacks that you feel that we could do better at? Because I always try to have this discussion. Where do you think we lack? Where do you think we need to come together? Like, I know we all try to do the Ohio um, Pagan Alliance, and as of right now, I don't think it's really going anywhere, but I haven't been to anything in a while. So what's your take on that from both of you? Uh, I'll start. Well, we have already touched on it. Organization with money, that's where we, that's where we fall short. I don't know what the answer is. It's not an easy answer. This is the one of the great debates in the entire country about the pagan community is, is, you know, how do we handle money? Because it takes money to accomplish great deeds. Not always, but things like a temple, stuff like that, it always takes money. So how do we figure that conundrum out? So, yeah, John Beckett had a really good article in, um, what is it? Patheon? Uh, Patheos. Patheos. Yeah. And Patheos. He had a really good article just about that subject about a year, year and a half ago. And I shared it because it is a controversial subject when it comes to money. A lot of pagans have rejected other religions that put a heavy emphasis on tithing and giving and giving. And so they, they tend to be very gun shy when it comes to any pagan group asking for money. But honestly, if we're going to get anything accomplished, some of us do have to step up. And those of us like you and like us and like so many more that we know in the area who are doing that work, you know, we, we burn ourselves out because we, we give and give and give. And then we have to take time off because right. we don't have the, just the physical help would be awesome. You know, having someone who wants to step in and help you plan events and, and take that part of that burden off, that is something but what it comes down to really is, I think, that gun-shy problem of pagans and organization. You know, they're, they're scared. Squirrels. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Squirrels. The, 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 the squirrels, yeah, we, we don't have the, the focus. But they're also scared of being suckered into something by a group that is not having their best intentions at heart. And so that's that was another reason why we formed RuneStone was because we really needed to find a way to make that safe space. And we're finding with the troth that we have found a group that provides that. They don't ask a lot for money. They're not out there asking for money, but they do seem to find a way to get things accomplished. And they do seem to really be putting their people where they're needed. I know I joined one of their committees on um, leadership and helping people form kindreds in their local areas. And we're just starting that work but it's an international group and we're working on providing guidelines and um, suggestions on how to form a 501c3 what organizations in your state have funds available to help you do that so all of that is in the research phase but it's heartening to see that there are organizations trying to do that and i think that's one of the things that leads to a lot of groups just quitting because, you know, you, you, it's an investment. It's not free to do what we do when it comes to groups, especially if you're running spaces and you're putting in time and effort. And then, you know, before you know it, you're like, okay, what can I do? 
And so, you know, we've been blessed enough to have our Patreon, to have people within our group here locally also uh, donate for us to be able to do things. But I still dive out of my own pocket as well. But I think if we stop doing it, even when we have those moments where we're like, well, funds are low, even if it's something that we can do that is free, still keeps the engagement. It still puts us out there. And one of the things that I've noticed is like, you know, there's still a lot of closed mindedness, which, you know, you can't control what people do. But I feel like we need to be out more in our communities, not only in a pagan perspective kind of way, but also, you know, in our town halls and our, you know, elections, because we have gotten to the point to where rights are being stripped away and deals are being made, you know, behind closed doors, like always. But if our voices don't get heard, then eventually, you know, because I know there are a lot of people that are afraid burning times are around the corner. So what is one way that you've tried at, with your group and with your conversations to kind of subtle some of the fear, but also be a representative for, you know, everybody to be able to have freedom? That's a really difficult topic. I am extremely liberal in all areas because I have children who are not um, gender norm. I have um, lots of mental health issues in my family. I have um, family members who are biracial. So the idea of being anything other than inclusive always was foreign to me and running up against people who hold that deep-seated belief, I didn't know how to deal with it at first because it was something that was so foreign right. from my mindset. But you you have to talk about it and you have to be open about being against it. You can't sit on the sidelines. It's something that was hard to talk about with our RuneStone group because there is that contingent of heathenry that is racist. And so we did have to take a stand and we did have to say, we're not going to be silent about this. We're not gonna shove it in people's faces all the time because it doesn't need to be the only topic of conversation, but your position has to be completely understood. If you're pro women's rights, then you damn well better be pro women's rights and you better be willing to stand up and say you are. If you're anti-racism, you cannot support a racist attitude. And if a person creeps into your group that expresses one, you talk to them about it, you provide education, but if they're not gonna change anything, they have to be gone. And that is the only way, I am an extremely tolerant, non-judgmental person, but you have to be intolerant of intolerance. And that is the only way that we are able to do it. So what, we don't necessarily go out and extend ourselves for religious marches or anything, but quietly we're privately involved in a lot of different things. And as a group, we just take that, we will not be intolerant. And if you are, you are not welcome stand for any and all. And I love that because, you know, I feel the exact same way you do. You know, if you stand around and be silent, how can you have someone speak up for you when that time comes? You know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. one of those things. And it's like, you know, as pagans, we're like, why can't people accept us? And it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of people fighting different things in their own lives and in their communities and even with their own government that are dealing with things and no one says nothing. So it's it's a two-way street and you got to decide which is more important, fear or standing your truth. So with that being said, and since we're speaking of truth and standing, now you guys are going to actually have a booth set up um, I assume as well. At which we are, we are. I'm sorry, Roger had to step out. We have the puppy, and she is getting over a really bad illness. So I'm probably going to be finishing this on my own while You're he's taking care fine. of her. But yes, we are going to have an informational booth at um, Witch in the Woods, and it is going to be what Runestone is. If you have questions about heathenry, if you have questions about Nordic magic. If you just want to sit and talk, if you want to find out about spinning wool or tapestry weaving or sewing, you know, there's a big 
crafting side of, of um, heathenry. And there is a large focus on spinning because it's considered a sacred magical thing. Spinning the web of weird, you know, weaving the tapestry of your fate is it's it's cross religion you know many religions have a similar theme but in in heathenry it's taken extremely seriously and so if you want to have conversations about all those different kinds of historical arts we've got that that we can talk with you about um, roger does a lot of carving and so he's more than happy to talk with you about that and then one of our kindred members is going to be there and, and he's doing his own thing but He's going to be talking about runes with people. So, you know, if you if you have heathen questions or you just want to find out what that even means to be heathen, just stop by and we'll be happy to talk. Yay, and I love that because I'm going to have <laughs> some questions. I always have questions. Me too. <laughs> like, I feel like that's one of the things too, you know what I mean? People are like, well, what do I need to know to be able to do this? And it's like, first off, Hate to tell you, Buttercup, but you're going to be learning your whole journey. It doesn't stop when you think that you know something because you're going to learn something else. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm I'm going to be 50 this year. I've been doing this for 28 years, although more than likely pagan before it was something you were allowed to actually talk about. But it never stops. It changes. It grows. You change and grow, for goodness sake. So, yeah, don't, if you think that this is going to be something that you can come in and we're going to sit down and we're going to tell you how to do this, you need to go elsewhere because that is not how it works. Right. It's about dedication and planning. And that's one thing I want to talk to you, too, because, you know, I've done blogs and stuff on the concept of time and spirituality. And you always get some people that are like, well, I just don't have the time or. I'm in the path, but time, how do you find time for your path? Like between the chaos of life and work and family? Well, first, always forgive yourself if you have to walk away from it for a little while, because unlike, unlike the Abrahamic faiths, you are magic. You are part of the everything just by being you so if you find time that we're not going to be able to be as dedicated as you like don't let that make you walk away from it completely accept that you need a break take the break come back refreshed but then in order to maintain contact it's still always a good idea with the class that I'm working with, we're starting from the beginning. A lot of these women have probably been practicing magic for a long time, but I'm making them start at the very beginning. And the very beginning, the first place is always meditation. Five minutes a day is all it takes for you to spend time to allow your mind to relax. You may not get it right off the bat. It might take months for you to get to where you actually feel like you had a meditation, but you're only going to get there if you practice because you have to write those new neural pathways. Exactly. Magic. Yeah. Magic is just science that can't be explained yet. And we like to add the mystery because that helps us to connect with it. But in reality, you're rewriting your own brain so that your brain can interact with metaphysical forces to create real change. That is why you don't really need any trappings, but the trappings make it fun. So five right. minutes a day of, yeah. Five minutes a day of meditation. And then the other thing that I will say for a heathen specific is setting up different altars. And they do not have to be anything fancy. But you want to have something in your house that honors the spirits that live in your house. It can be nothing more than a coffee cup that you fill every day with coffee. And you're telling and it's specific for the, the spirits that live in your house. But honor them because they need that. They deserve it because they're there and you're coexisting in their space. So you need to honor the fact that you're there. Beyond that ancestor altar, set something up where you can on a daily basis, if possible, but if not, at least periodically, talk to your ancestors, those who've gone before you, because you carry the strengths that they gave you as well as the burdens they gave you. And the only way you're going to break your ancestral curses is by acknowledging them and then taking those strengths and building forward. And then lastly, 
an altar to the gods and it doesn't have to be de dedicated to anyone in heathenry because in heathenry we tend to work with all of them all of them have some different aspect thor is there for protection and frigga is there for working with your your home and and management and odin of course is going to be your inspiration for when you want to get crazy so <laughs> we work with <laughs> everyone loves odin and Odin is wonderful, but watch out because he does like to have fun with you. <laughs> but oh god, you know, do I know? <laughs> <laughs> have that god altar that you can use for when you're working with the gods and goddesses, when you're thanking them. So and and really on a daily basis, I might spend 15 to 20 minutes actively doing work. 15 to 20 minutes of I work with tarot still, even though I'm heathen. So 15 to 20 minutes of pulling my cards and then working with my runes, saying my thank yous to Freya because I do work with Freya a lot because she is the goddess that I did dedicate myself to. And right. then talking to my ancestors, 15 to 20 minutes is all that it takes to keep that connection open. But then when I have a day like today when, when Siga was sick and I wasn't able to work with them, I forgive myself. Because I spent a lot of time on my knees today begging my ancestors to help help Siga get well. So I didn't need to spend that extra time in there working with them because they I carry them with me every single day. But you can only do that if you dedicate yourself to just a few minutes a day of setting aside some time for that sacred moment. And I totally agree with that. Like. You know, I've had spots in my life where I'm like, I can't do a ritual or I just don't have the mental fortitude to do what I need. But I always make time at the night to have mm -hmm. my final thoughts, like prayers. Like there's been times where the hubby's been at work and like I just start talking and I just get this overwhelming feeling and just start breaking down. And it's almost like you feel them around, you feel that energy and that it's okay kind of vibration, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I do. It's a really wonderful thing when you're finally able to feel them. The other thing, though, is someone really wise who I love very much in the Dayton area. She she told me she could probably count on her hand on her two hands the number of times that she had that big, amazing God experience that blows your mind. Everything else was little moments. And right, if you right. think you're having that big God experience every day, it's probably your ego talking because that doesn't happen every day. What happens every day is those little moments, those tiny moments of sacredness when you're, like you said, sitting down and feeling that peace at night because things are right and you've, you've given yourself everything that you can. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like doesn't get talked about when it comes to like dedication and giving to the spirits or the gods that you work with is the energy that you put forth through the day. Like I do a lot of uh, talking with people, interacting and, you know, people come in my life because I work with Hecate and I've done many videos that you guys can find on the channel as well. And there's always that moment of like, when you are putting that much energy, it's almost like a form of dedication because you're not only living your aspect and doing the rituals or the work or the dedications, but you're also spreading that knowledge and that word and being almost like a front man, so to speak, for those you work with. <laughs> yes, yes. That's a great way of putting it. In heathenry, we like to think of it as the sacrifices that we give to those that we are working with. And a sacrifice of time is as valid as a sacrifice of food. So, yeah, the time that you, especially you, because you do devote a heck of a lot of time to everyone and everything in your community, especially with your new business venture. It's a lot. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but I, I do pretty decent. But realistically, if I didn't have my community and, you know, people like you that I could reach out to, it makes it hard. Because there are those moments where you're sitting there like, is what I'm doing actually affecting anything? And yeah. I don't know if you've had that moment yet, but that's oh, like yeah. the feeling like where you're torn because you're like, I spent so much time and I've dedicated and I love my community, 
but you also feel like they don't need me. And that's like a pure struggle that I face probably about every six months. It's like a transition. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I have those moments where I'm like, is anything I'm doing making any difference? The, the thing for me that I, I, the way that I look at it is I am not, I'm not, I'm not going to be famous in my lifetime. I'm not going to be anyone who writes extremely popular books and does the tour circuit. I'm going to live my quiet little life here. And I'm doing this because I want people to get the message about Runestone, but it's not about me. It's about living my life so that I can help others who hopefully will one day be that big person who's out there being able to do the huge work that impacts millions. That's not me. I'm not that person. I'm just little Heidi Beth sitting in her house, trying to make sure that other people feel empowered so they can go out and do those big things because I don't need that. All I need is knowing that the work that I do is going to help someone else achieve more than I ever dreamed I could. But having said that, there are times when I am sitting there going, did anything I do even matter? And that's those moments you know it. Those dark moments are the it's moments hard. where and there, but they're the moments when you find out you get kicked in the ass and told, listen here, bitch. Yes, you fucking did all this shit. Right. And you're feeling sorry for yourself right now. Get up off your ass and go out there and be proud of the work you've done. It's always what seems like to happen afterwards is you get people come to you and be like, thank you. Or like, hey, I need your help. And or you get somebody like, hey, I went to this and you were awesome. And it's like, really? You're like the universe had to drag me down into that spot. Just get mm -hmm. me back up again. And that's it's, right. And it's almost like a refuel because even if it's just one person, you're like, that's one person's life that I was able to help. Yes. You know, I got to keep on going. And then yep. it's just a spiral that never ends. <laughs> right. And we'll we'll cycle back and forth between the ups and the downs but that's okay because if we don't do it maybe it won't get done and then there'll be right. people who are lost who can't find it so we do it anyway right and I think that's something that I want to leave on a, as a reminder like it's a good way to end the podcast to remember you know even when you're feeling at your lowest when you feel like you're not needed you are because there are people that you've probably helped that may not always tell you, but without you in their world, it would be a little less happy and exciting. So just yeah. remember when you're out there in the world, share love, share knowledge, share understanding, change your perspective a little bit. And along the way, make some good memories and some good friends. And with that okay. being said, do you have anything to add to that? No, that was beautiful. And I, I'm not going to even try and top it. Thank you. It was an honor to be invited. And it's an honor to be working with you next weekend at Witch in the Woods. Thank you. You're welcome. And we hope to have you back again sometime in the future. And with that being said, for anybody that's out there listening, remember Witch in the Woods is a Saturday. All camping spots have been taken, but you can still come and hang out with us. And until next time, remember, guys, no two witches, which alike.